Our scripture today is Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse, on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Josh. Um, it is really good to be together. It's good to be here. I'm actually surprised how many people are here. I just didn't know with a, a beautiful day and 4th of July weekend and stuff. And so it is good to gather, and um, thanks for gathering. <laughs> uh, it's been a good for my soul so far, and as you saw from the scripture passage, we're going to go in a direction this morning that uh, I'm excited for us to go into, but I did want to spend a, a few moments. I felt like there were some um, updates with Patty's everything that my wife's been going through with her chronic pain and stuff that um, that just wanted to share, bring people up to speed and stuff. Um, she went to Florida to get off of the medication she was on. We were trying to figure out how much the medications might be hurting her instead of helping her. So she's only taken stuff that doctors and psychiatrists had prescribed to her. But this place was like, hey, we can get you off of these way faster. And so she got off of them and her pain and all that stuff has just persisted just without any help from the medicine now. And so um, so it's it's been really hard for her. I know a lot of people in our church are struggling with a lot of things and it just feels like just a frustrating season in many ways. Uh, but hopefully, Lord willing, we'll see today also a, a hopeful season. Um, so we, we've been kind of like knocking on so many doors, just seeing if if this, uh, we've been, we worked for weeks with the Mayo Clinic and, and we week that if the Mayo Clinic became an option, it probably wouldn't even be till next year. And so, so that's frustrating and long and hard and all that stuff. And, and for several months now, there's been one place that Patty has been wanting to go to. And it's called the Sparrow Clinic in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And everything we've heard about them, interacted with them around, uh, paid attention to people who have been there, it just was like, man, this place feels like it's made for things that Patty's going through. Uh, the reason it's been off the not even consideration list is they don't, re they basically don't cover, or insurance doesn't cover the frequency, the intensity of the treatments that they do and stuff. And so, so they've got encouraging. Um, like, I'm encouraged by their success rate, um, but it's a non-insurance covered success rate. Um, but as we kept like praying and being like, Lord, would you open a door? They actually called us this week and said, hey, if you can get Patty down here, um, we can get her started in the, it's a 12-week program. And they're like, we can get her started on July 27th. 
And so, but they're like, we need to know by the end of the day whether it's a yes or no because there are people in different countries that are trying to get there and they wanted to give time for people to buy plane tickets and stuff. And so, um, so it was encouraging that she was offered to start July 27th, um, but also it led to a lot of seeking wise counsel, conversations, talking to, there's a prayer group that, that we were all talking and then speaking with other people because in order for this to happen, we would actually have to raise about $50,000, which is a whole lot, a, a whole lot. And, um, and that has just made that be a no, <laughs> just and said, let's go down the route of insurance covering things. Um, but we were encouraged by everybody we talked to Thursday and Friday to say, I think you should go for it. I think you should try it. I think let's get a GoFundMe started and just see maybe it's a closed door and that's okay, uh, but maybe it would become an open door and all the money doesn't need to be there for her to start, but they're just saying over 12 weeks they bill weekly and that's roughly what they encourage people to raise. And so uh, make a long story short uh, or shorter, um, we're going to start a GoFundMe tomorrow and, and just to let you know, like that's kind of, that's Patty's, desire is to be there. We're next, a week from tomorrow, we're going to go down there for 24 hours and just get to know everybody, you know, for Patty to talk to people who are in the program right now and stuff. And uh, we'll probably do a bunch of videos from there for the GoFundMe and stuff. But um, man, really appreciate your prayers for that. And, um, and just look to the Lord together uh, on, on that. And, uh, and w the church is not, you know, this isn't like Sacred Mission Church has become Tim's family church, that it's all about us. But we are in the midst of a, a great trial right now, and I know many people are. And man, we're like, Lord, would you deepen all of us as we lock arms together and walk through the things that he has for us together, uh, which, which really brings to today, which is, why are we doing this and where are we headed? Like, I, I think once in a while I'm like, where is this going? Are we aimlessly wandering around and then paying taxes and just kind of like, um, like just having this human experience and we just kind of bounce around? Or like, where are we headed as a people? And uh, I'm mindful of scripture that says, without a vision, people perish. So if it's like, it's easy to have no hope and it's easy to, to perish if there's no vision of like, where are we going? And man, we have a lot of announcements about the well because it's been an incredibly fruitful, unanticipated, I mean, to have 40 people signed up to spend a week, 40-ish people signed up to spend a week away from here and to see the lives that have been changed through the well um, and just the gatherings that we have weekly, like it's something where I'm just like, man, I did not have this when I was, when I was going to Collins Maxwell. You know, this wasn't, and this is, um, no one person, I mean, it's churches partnering together, but uh, even Amos and I, I think last Sunday was like, can you believe this is happening right now? Like, it's really stunning. And so we could, we could spend time talking about like a, a vision of, of reaching rural central Iowa. We could talk about like a vision for our student ministry and all of that would be good. But this morning, let's, let's catch a bigger vision. <laughs> And maybe let's catch the biggest vision, the largest vision we could potentially catch of where we are heading, where all of this is going. Without a vision, the people perish, which therefore should mean that with a vision, we can be rooted 
as Psalm 1 talks about, really being rooted in God in a way that even in a desert, we've got a, we've got a hidden water stream that is nourishing us, that is feeding us with, with a vision that we are receiving good nutrients, growing stronger. And so for that, we're going to be starting in Revelation 19. If you aren't familiar with your Bibles, when you're in Revelation, it's easy. It's the last book, the last word. And remember, too, that when John is writing this, everybody that he has done ministry with, they're all dead. They're all gone. Jesus, all of the disciples, he is the last one, and he is exiled on an island. So life has been... It's looked a lot different than when they were hearing the Sermon on the Mount, let's say. Um, they've gone several decades, and things have gone different. Um, and he gets this vision. So we're going to start in Revelation 19, verse 1. After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are just and true, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more, they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever Endeavor. So, what is happening here? When, not just what is happening, but when this is happening and who this multitude is, is stunning. So, in the book of Revelation, and there are, there are multiple ways to view the book of Revelation, but this being a very, very accepted way is if we follow the chronology of the book of Revelation. Revelation 19 happens when everyone who will be in heaven together is together, okay? So you have everyone who will be in heaven together is now together. All of the judgments and so much of that has already happened. So John is able to be transported to a place and a time that is future, so it's truly a vision of the future. And when it's God's vision of the future, when it's his vision of the future, it is not a possibility. It's not like the multiverse of madness thing where it's like, maybe this will happen, maybe this won't happen. It is like, this, this is going to happen so confidently you can write it down. <laughs> and it can stay written down, okay? So John comes up to this group of people I'm, I'm acting like he's sneaking around. You know, I don't think he's sneaking around, but he goes up to a group of people and he listens what they're saying. And he writes down what they're saying. And here's what I think is, uh, for years this has just taken my breath away. He could be listening to you. Like whoever he came next to, now, he's hearing the voice of the multitude, but he is quoting you in Revelation 19. He is quoting your words, my words. He's 
we are actually quoted in Scripture is Revelation 19. Those who have put their trust in Jesus and those who will put their trust in Jesus. So think of like the most, that person would never love Jesus. Well, if they are alive, there's still a chance that they could put their trust in Jesus, and maybe that's who John is close to, writing down. And you're like, and I don't want to embarrass anybody and start naming names, but I have people I'm praying like, Lord, I, man, I hope that John heard most closely this person that would uh, make my heart sing. Um, so Revelation 19 is John recording your words, my words, our words, and after we have seen Satan judged, after we have seen all of the corruption that corrupted our world adequately judged, after seeing everyone who resisted Jesus's forgiveness, resisted the pursuit of the Holy Spirit, everyone who resisted him, seeing them judged to hell, which is not something to speak of lightly, those who are in Christ, who are gathered, what we will say, one of the things we will say is his judgments are true and just. You were just. Your judgments were true and just. You didn't like, oh man, if you would have really known the whole story, you would have treated that person differently. If you would have really known that, you would have done differently. That No, we will say, true and just are your judgments. We will cry out, hallelujah. This, this is a one word, this is like a super word in Hebrew because it's, it's basically a whole sentence in one word and it's a command, praise God. Praise God. We will praise him. We will worship him. So our destination, it's like, where are we headed here? We are headed to worship. And it's not a mindless, like, like we all have Alzheimer's, we don't remember what life was like, and we're all like, I guess we should worship him. I don't even know who he is. I guess we should worship. No, it's like, that is such a hideous disease because it robs you, on this side of glory at least, from your memories. And you realize how much your memories are the bedrock of wisdom and joy and so many things. And with all of our faculties about us, our destination is worship. After we see how God ends the world as we know it, we will worship him for how true and just he has been and worship him for defeating all that sought to defeat us. And so a significant place, and this is our first major point this morning of like where we're heading, is all will be resolved. It can feel at times like so much of life is unresolved. Like, man, I wish that relationship, I wish this could be different. I wish I, sh wish I could see resolution here. I, I wish th this could be different. And, and to know like it is going to be resolved, I will worship him. I will say you have been just through it all. And then we speak again in verse six. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters. And even if you're like, well, I'm kind of reserved. I like to roar on the inside. <laughs> I don't, you know, like my, my, my mouth doesn't let 
people around me know the roar of my heart, we will all be roaring, okay? The roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Don't miss this last verse. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So I think as we grow in our understanding of the Bible, we grow in our understanding of scripture, of theology, all those things, our righteous deeds are filthy rags. That's quoting scripture. Our righteousness can never buy us salvation. The only thing that truly saves us as people needing to be saved is Christ's righteousness on our behalf. That sparked the the, uh, reformation of the 15th, 16th century is uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 17, that what I'm boasting in is not my righteousness, Christ's righteousness. It's all of his work that we accept to cover our work that saves us. It's his righteousness that saves us. Here, our righteousness clothes us. It's after we have taken on Jesus' righteousness for salvation. So someone that's like, hey, I'm just going to work really hard and be really good, and that will, God will let me in in those pearly gates. Well, Scripture is clear. That is a fool's errand. You will be righteously judged for that. But for anyone that says, I can't work my way to heaven, that is a hamster wheel that only moves backwards. What I can do is trust the work of Jesus for my salvation, clothed in his rightness. And now that we have been saved by his rightness, now we work. We get to work. Not for salvation, but because we have found our salvation in him. Now we work for our good as he has designed us, for his kingdom, for his glory, to be holy because he is holy, to be changed because he is the changer. Our sufferings, our struggles, our victories, moving to be righteous works. So faith alone saves us, but faith that saves is never alone, is how the saying goes. And what we will be clothed in, Revelation 19 says, is actually our works that we do after trusting his work. The works that we do after trusting his work clothes the saints. Those are the fine garments because we're saying everything that you see in me is flowing from his work, but we did do work. We did the best of work, which is the work that flows from his work as he moves in us. All will be resolved. Then verse 11, the focus changes. We've been looking at the saints. Now we look 
at the Savior. Then I saw heaven opened, verse 11, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. So it's these couple verses. Jesus entering Jerusalem before the crucifixion was riding on a donkey. He's not on a donkey any longer. He's now riding on a war horse. The one who was on trial, who, who many people just poured out their wrath towards, the one who was on trial, Jesus, is now called faithful and true. His eyes, John now focuses on his eyes, and his eyes, the best way he can describe his eyes are fire. Fire that purifies, fire that pierces. Whatever he sees is purified. His crown of thorns. Last we saw him, he was wearing a crown of thorns, and now he's wearing, it's replaced with many diadems. I had to look that up because I don't use those words. And it's, it's basically the, the valuable, uh, all the rare gems that are placed around a crown of sovereignty. And he has many diadems on his crown. A sign was written by Pontius Pilate that said, this is the king of the Jews. And now there's a name that's written that no one actually knows what it means. Um, only God himself knows what it's, it's only a name inside the Trinity that speaks of him. No, his, his, he's undefinable by even our glorified bodies and minds. Then verse 13, he is clothed in a robe dripped in blood. I mean, if, we, if we want a vision for where this is heading, we are getting a, a, I used to say HD vision. It's like whatever is higher than HD now. Like we are getting the clearest picture here. Verse 13, he is clothed in a robe that's dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. His robe, I mean, this is hard to picture, maybe because it, it's something we've never seen before. And we will see it, is a, wearing a robe that's, that's just dipped in blood. And that can represent the blood that he shed for humanity, but many Bible scholars believe this is more, this has come from the judgment of the world. That, that this is possibly the blood of those who sought his blood. And, and him being clothed with this robe is, is um, this isn't the baby Jesus that people keep in a crib because they don't want it to mess with their lives. And this is like Jesus in full splendor and we see a part of him that, that we should take seriously. He's truly the only one that we need to take fully seriously. 
Taking him seriously puts everything else in its proper place. And I love that the name, that there's a name that we don't know, but then there is a name by which he's called, which is the word of God. And that doesn't mean like, oh, is this, am I holding Jesus here? Uh, we refer to this as the words of God, but what this is speaking of here is that we can call him the word of God in the sense of anything he says is there's no one higher that can speak. There's no one higher that can act. He truly is ruling everything. God is speaking. The armies of heaven are arraigned in fine linen due to the righteous deeds of the saints. Because of Jesus' blood having washed us, the armies of heaven are following him on white horses. And what this looks like, but... Very likely, and maybe this is why, like, every guy kind of wants to be a prince on a horse with a sword in his hand or something. Maybe that's deep in our DNA. But there's a really good chance that you will be behind him on a white horse, utterly destroying darkness forever. Verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All of the injustice of humanity, all evil that's ever been done, Jesus treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. He only needs to speak. I don't think like a sword is actually coming out of his mouth. I think, I think when he speaks, there is a cutting that nothing can resist as his words level whatever he wants to level. All the wrath of God against all the injustice throughout human history. Jesus will see it through he is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. All will be resolved. And secondly, here we see that Jesus rules all. Past, present, and future will all come to a point, and all of them are in his rule. They're under his rule. They're subject to his rule. I mean, this is why we set up chairs. <laughs> you know, this is a lot of things that we do here is for here, and for then, knowing that these things will take place. We then get to see, okay, what, what's Jesus' vision? What will he do in his victorious rule? He rules all, but where, where will he go? What, what's his vision for us in this victorious rule? Look at verse 1 of Revelation 21. So there's a, a lot... That, that we could say here, but Revelation 21, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And this is the passage that we'll end on today. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, 
and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So heaven as we know it, earth as we know it, are all going to be made new. There will be a new creation, a new Jerusalem as a wedding gift for his people. Then God booms. The dwelling place of God is now with man. There won't be this like, I'm home, but I'm not home. I'm, I'm, God is present with us, but he's also not present with us because we're not face to face or whatever it may be. His presence is here and Jesus, we're looking for him to return. Like all of those paradoxes, he will dwell with us. We will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. Every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. Death will no longer exist even as a concept. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying. It's okay to cry now, and there will be no more crying. There will be no more pain anymore. All of those things have passed away. The refreshing third point and last point for us where we're headed is that all will be renewed. All will be renewed. Things that feel like the end will realize there is a significant beginning. Life will be new. Our experiences will be new. All that we know of pain, trials, suffering, challenges, all of the parts of our human experience, all of that will be gone. It, it, it makes things here not be so meaningless because we know that meaning is coming. All the joys we experience, which are beautiful and a gift, they'll be eclipsed by greater joys. All will be resolved. Jesus rules all. All will be renewed. That's where all this is headed. And, um, you know, it's like, what, what do we do with this? I think one thing we do is if, like, you are terrified of any of this happening, and you're like, I don't ever, I don't, I don't want to see Jesus. I don't want to see Jesus that way. If you're terrified, the, the beauty is you can, you can go to him. You can repent. You can say, like, Lord, I want to I be saying those things. I want to be worshiping you. I, I give my life to you. I, I want your righteousness to, to, your blood to wash me white as snow to cover my sins. Like, hearing those verses should never, if it strikes anyone with terror, that should be a good sign that you should fall on your knees and give your life to Jesus. When Jesus resolves everything, when Jesus is ruling, when Jesus is making all things new, like, for those of us that are following Jesus, have given our lives to him, it's like, how does that vision affect us right now? And man, I trust God to move in us each, communicating that to each of us, but just know we will flourish. We will be more alive than we've ever been. We will be more in our sweet spot. We will be truly flourishing. So today, when we come to him now, knowing how we will come to him one day, that should be encouraging. That should give us joy. Not just a happy face, but like a joy that, man, okay, 
you, you're, you are resolving all things, would you resolve this? Or I look to you to resolve this. There's nowhere else to look. We're looking to you. Knowing that he will rule everything allows us to give the reins of our life to him now and say, rule now, rule in my life now, knowing that that is leading me to flourishing and to flourish as much now as I can, knowing I will flourish more then. We look to him to rule us now, knowing he will rule us then. And then knowing that he will renew all things. And scripture, thankfully, is full of so much of like, would you renew me this morning? Would you give me a new song? Would you give me my daily bread? We look to him to renew us now, knowing he will renew us. Truly, deeply, then. Um, So as we look for that day, and as we live today, he is present here. Like, he will be present in a way where we're like, wow, you were present, and maybe I see your presence more looking back than I even realize how present you were. And a lot of times we see the presence of the Lord through each other too, and, and as we see him working in our midst. But one of the ways that we do commune with him is through communion. This is a way that he says, I want you to feel my presence now, knowing you will feel my presence then. And the way that he's given us communion is saying like, this is my body lived in your place. Take it, eat in remembrance of me. This is my blood shed for you that buys you life. Drink it. And we will actually do this at the wedding feast of the lamb that we will speak of one day together. Um, We will, he said, do this as often as you do it. And then he tells us, I will do it with you again like I did that first time. Um, But what's really, there are a lot of ways to respond to him, to commune with him, and this is a crucial way that he has given us. And um, warnings in scripture are don't, for those who have given their lives to Jesus, don't just rush to the table without first rushing to him, allowing him to communicate with us in the ways we need to, things that we need to be doing in our lives that maybe we aren't letting him illuminate things for us. But then instead of cowering in shame in the corner, we boldly come to the table. And so uh, we'll come down the middle. Um, you'll be served the elements. Um, and then hold on to them, remain standing, and we'll take it together as family. And if, if even you've been here for a long time, you're like, you know, I just don't know where I'm at with Jesus. L- let's talk. Either talk to me or talk to somebody around you. And let's make sure that that, that is settled. <laughs> now so it can be settled then. So let's respond to him. Let's come to him.